This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. No, you don't. You got some insecurities about your monitors. No, I'm I'm secure in my monitors. I mean, what we could talk about is how for many years you resented me for using multiple monitors. And then as soon as you were able to use them yourself, you started using them. And I don't really hear that much from you about them anymore. We could talk about that. We could talk about the changing tastes of someone who comes into two monitors after only having <laughs> one monitor for so long. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Here's the thing about having two monitors is it's twice as many monitors. Welcome to Overdue. This is a podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And this week we're going to be talking about The Brief Wondrous Life of Oscar Wow by Juno Diaz. Wow. Oscar Wow. Wow. Um, yeah, I don't know. What Do you want to talk about monitors some more? Do you want to... Anything else on your mind? I'm good, really. I mean, unless you wanted just to talk about like two two monitors is part of is one of those things where you're like, if I have two monitors, surely I'll be more productive, and then you actually aren't. Oh, you most certainly are not. That's so just like not how it, it works. Are there any are there any things that you've bought thinking, oh, this will totally change the way that I work, and then it didn't? I don't use our blender as much as I should. Okay, interesting. I thought that was gonna help me get healthy. But instead, I got lazy about cleaning the blender and stopped using the blender. <laughs> Neat. How about you? Is it just monitors? Is there a, like um, a fancy screwdriver you don't use anymore because it's too difficult? No. Whenever I buy screwdrivers, I usually end up using them. Um, <laughs> surely I have something sitting around here that I bought and don't use. Um, You're wearing a lot of those... game controllers. For somebody who... Uh, for somebody mm. who only plays like one player games by himself, I sure do own a lot of game controllers. You Let's do. say that. You do own a lot of them. Hmm. That's Usually interesting. Usually because I had like there was like one opportunity where people might multiplay some video games and so I just wanted to make sure I had the controllers and then in the end I just like end up being able to pick from a lot of colors <laughs> when I play video games by myself. Variety is the spice of life, after all. So, Andrew, we have talked that about... That and spice. Also what? spice. Spice is delicious. Which one? All spice of them? is the spice of life. All spice. Any any of them. All spice is good. I am partial to tarragon. Hmm. Is that an herb? I don't know. I thought you knew what you were talking about. I don't. Let's get into the book part where we definitely don't know what we're talking about. So um, Juno Diaz. So yeah. we talked about him... Um, it was episode 70-something, I think. 76 I, in the fall read, of 2014. Jeez, that was, we were so innocent. It was so long ago. Um, I read uh, This Is How You Lose Her, which is sort of somewhere halfway between a novel and a short story collection. Like it yeah. is, there is a, we talked a lot, I listened to like the first 10 minutes of that episode, and we talked a lot about Junior, who is a, 
yes. sort of recurring recurring avatar for Diaz, who appears in a lot of his books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, I don't think I need to go into like, t- I don't think we need to go into like a ton of detail about him. Um, you can listen to that older episode if you if you want to hear that discussion. But um, yeah, Diaz was born in 1968. He um, received a Pulitzer Prize in 2008 for Oscar Wow. So it's it's a book that people like a lot. He rose <laughs> to prominence in uh, 1995 on the strength of a short story collection called Drown. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is currently working on a sort of sci-fi book, and he has been working on it since like 2012 at least. Uh, called Monstro. Yeah, so is that... And uh, the, they, he's published, like, the first... It's like the first chapter of it is up, if you Google it. Okay. I think that's what it is, but, yeah. Cause I was... It's supposed to be, like, an epic. Yeah, that kind of dovetails with some stuff that's in Oscar Wow. Like, there's a lot of references to sci-fi and nerd culture and other things uh, like that, so... He's definitely anything that might drive him to write one of those books on his own is certainly present in Oscar Wow already, like from a cultural mm-hmm. angle. Um, sure. So we can we like you can talk a little bit about that when we talk about the book. Mm-hmm. Um, you can talk about how uh, Diaz. You tell Dominican. me what to talk about, please. Tell me. I just I just want <laughs> to make sure we interface with stuff that comes up a lot in his work, like his okay. uh, Dominican heritage and. The uh, I don't know. That's pretty much it. Well, specifically that he immigrated to New Jersey when he was six. Uh, mm. He then studied at Rutgers and then later Cornell. Rutgers is featured in this book as well. Um, as you said, Drown was published in 95 or 96. That came around 95. 95. That was like books have definite publication years. You always I just don't remember. <laughs> Yeah, here's why I okay, here's why I get tricked up sometimes. Sometimes I read <laughs> when they started working on the book and then okay. I internalize that date and then the publication date is later. Um Okay, sure. He Yeah, so that's like when he's going into the MFA program at Cornell. Um he what else? He got a he got a MacArthur Genius a MacArthur grant, grant in 2012. Um in 2015 a poll of Several dozen U.S. critics that was conducted by BBC Culture declared Oscar Wilde the best novel of the 21st century to date. Sure. Which seems pretty early in the game to be calling that one, but I guess it's good to just like keep a, keep a current list of what the landscape is. So here's something we, here's like a, a follow-up to something we talked about on the This Is How You Lose Her episode. Uh, we talked about, he had recently, as of that recording, uh, been publicly critical of the Dominican Republic uh, for its treatment of Haitian immigrants um, and was like deporting them and not treating them well. Um, and in 2015... The Dominican Republic, not yes, DS. Yeah. Um, and then in 2015, uh, the Dominican Republic actually revoked the order of merit that they had previously given him due to his anti-Dominican remarks. Um, so he's... We, we alluded to like a a love-hate relationship with his homeland. Um, and it seems there's like they a, there's are... There's a little, little bit of hate for you. Well, and it seems like it's a two-way street right now because he has decided to use his well-earned position uh, and and voice to, to critique some bad stuff. Um, sure. 
Yeah. So I've got like I've got a sentence from him that I like that I don't think we really talked about last time. Oh yeah, um, do it. About because okay, so we talked about Jonathan Safran four a couple weeks ago, and we ripped him. <laughs> Harder than we generally rip people. I don't think it was an undeserved dragging that we gave him, but it definitely was one. One of our end. one of our listeners also pointed out that I think the episode we both know the episode would have been very different if I had read the book. Personality wise, I am more tolerant of that style of literature than you are, and I'm not saying that that's uh-huh. a value judgment. I'm just saying that like I get invested in other things and i'm glad that you were able to be as critical of that book as you were because it's deserved (laughs) so (laughs) i'm glad that we did that but i think i don't think it was unearned um if that's your concern right now um there is a quote from him it was published in um in the wellesley news i'm trying to look i have the like the beginning of the quote i'm trying to load up the article but he says basically there are two types of writers those who write for other writers and those who write for readers yeah yeah and he wants to be the kind who writes for readers um in part i guess apparently because they're more likely to gloss over mistakes and act as willing participants in a story can I give rather you rather than just looking to criticize his writing before we get into the book proper can i give you an example of that Yes, um, you can do that. And then also, I, I, um, last thing after you do that is that saying, well, I thought we would do like, we would just give everybody, in the interest of giving everybody equal treatment, I have a big quote from that same article about overrated writers that we used for the four yeah. episode. I have their, their quote about Diaz. Okay. So okay. you hit me and then I'll hit you. Okay, let me hit you real quick. Uh, you mentioned that Junior is the character that's like the alter ego of Diaz that crops up in a number of books. He is a he is a primary character in Oscar Wow. Um, he is in fact the narrator of this book. Um, there's a moment where he makes a Matrix reference about red, about red pills and blue pills. Now that oh, language no. now is this before the internet ruined this it? This is before the internet ruined it, and we'll talk about that. This is a 2008 book. Who knows when he started writing it. Um, but he's talking about red pills and blue pills. And now I'm going to get mixed up because I don't remember which is which. I think blue pill is okay, you stay the, in the Matrix. Right. Blue pill is the one where you where you stay ignorant of whatever. And then the red pill is the one you take to really open your eyes to the world around you. And so in yes. internet parlance, now in certain circles... Being red pilled is when you wake up and realize that women are actually keeping men down and not the other way Which around. Just miss me with all of that. But <laughs> the he has a like he has a line where Junior is talking to the reader because Junior's the narrator, and he's describing an experience of Oscars that he admits maybe the reader won't believe, and he says, "Yeah, but you could." You could take the blue pill and continue with me or take the red pill and go back into the Matrix. And I'm like, I think you got that wrong. Yeah, he mixed it up. I think he mixed how do you it know, up. How do you... Hmm. And how do you make a Matrix reference like that and not like go back? Like, I should just make sure I got the colors right. Yeah. Right? And I, so I poured over it three times to make sure I wasn't misunderstanding him. And I don't think I am. But again, that's so that's a that's a very minor example of this narrator is very clearly talking to you 
he might make mistakes. He might gloss over things. He might. Uh, he's apparently a fake geek boy. <laughs> he's fake geek boy. Uh, <laughs> but he, yeah, he's in conversation with you throughout the book. And I have a couple other quibbles with how that works, or at least things to point out. Um, I don't want to just pretend that I can just wait on in here and be like, this Pulitzer Prize winning book leaves me what feeling want um, but then <laughs> well, again actually why don't we why don't you go into the book first because the the excerpt i have from this overrated writers list like talks about style a lot and i guess we can save that for toward the end when we're talking about like how the pros grabbed you and and sure whether you think diaz and jonathan saffron for beyond belong on like the same list okay that sounds good um, so yeah, tell me what this. Tell me what this. Who's Oscar Wow? What's his brief, whatever life like? I'm never gonna remember <laughs> the specific brief wondrous words. life. Mm-hmm. Um, his, super cool life of Oscar Oscar Wow. Yes, uh, he is a young man um, whose real name is actually Oscar De Leon. He is uh, I could best describe him as an overweight teen who can't get any. Now. Same. <laughs> Now, this is like treated with the utmost severity and seriousness. And yes, he, the narrator makes fun of it at all the appropriate moments, but also like the fact that Oscar is um, like socially impotent, let's say. Like he is uh, comic. Socially. Yes. Um, he's comically overweight, he is nerdy to a fault. He is like a caricature in every way. He doesn't fit in. He is of Dominican descent where the stereotype is that you have all of this like charisma and machismo. Um, multiple times the book references that it's like basically illegal for a Dominican man to die without having had sex. Like, <laughs> and, and at one point, Junior says that to Oscar and he's like, I know that's what I'm worried about. Um, and I, I, I enjoy it when cultures or like pockets of culture make a big deal about something that honestly is not unique to that like not actually unique to that culture like machismo and like the need for men to be virile people who get laid all the time is pretty embedded I guess it just like takes it takes different forms depending on which specific culture you're talking about yeah because I think the the particular Latin American uh cliches and tropes and and cultural norms that this is trading in it's that very performative um i, I almost said bodacious and that's not that's not right i uh, we can go with it though we but, can chase that one <laughs> like bodacious braggadocio kind of thing tubular um, <laughs> gnarly <Dude>. <laughs> <laughs> uh that just Oscar's never going to have. At one point, uh, Diaz said in an interview that Oscar was a composite of all the nerds that I grew up with who didn't have that special reservoir of masculine privilege. Now, check that quote, because Diaz is saying that he's got a special <laughs> reservoir of masculine <laughs> privilege. Um, and there's Junior, who, you know, the Diaz surrogate that you find out, you know, midway through the book, that's who the narrator is. Um is like he is also a writer he he is a player he does identify with some of the things that oscar's into but is not um 
he's not like Oscar, you know, he's not solitary like Oscar is. He hasn't undergone the same things that Oscar has. Um, so Oscar is this, you know, teen who's never going to get any. The one time in his life where he had any, like, machismo charisma was when he was seven and he had two girlfriends <laughs> in preschool. Um, and he... In preschool at seven? That seems old. Well, for sorry. I, I might be fudging some stuff um okay that's fine you're an unreliable narrator yeah as, as exactly we well that's com- it comes from the text it says uh in those blessed days of his youth oscar was something of a casanova one of those preschool lover boys who was always trying to kiss the girls always coming up behind them during a merengue and giving them the pelvic pump which like seven-year-olds <laughs> don't do uh, that seven-year-olds you don't even know what what all your business does yet i think i remember being five and like liking a girl but not knowing what it meant like just like i think i had a friend that's that's what it was i think i had a friend who happened to be a girl yeah i had a few of those my my whole timeline was stunted because my family would like in a very me- well-meaning mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. ultimately scarring way make fun of me anytime it seemed like i was interested in a girl <laughs> yeah that's that's not cool that's not fun yeah um, I didn't I I didn't I have never had game but the closest I ever I didn't develop anything that looked like it until high school so I'm with you Oscar I I feel you man um mm. so Oscar of course with all of his 7-year-old machismo learns the hard way uh where he dumps his one girlfriend cuz the other one is better and then the next day she dumped him to go out Classic. with quote but ugly Nelson Pardo <laughs> classic like threes company style hijinks <laughs> so basically he is just a mess for years like he gains you know he gains all this weight and becomes uh in a way that ostracizes him this is in the 70s into the 80s so it's like peak revenge of the nerd era nerd like not like Marvel movies are the biggest things on the planet nerd yeah not like nerds are chic but like nerds are nerds yeah we're in a pre-Zuckerberg era. How about that? I said God, that. Don't define. Don't define <laughs> just, that by him. I just said that to make you mad. We don't all have to be sociopath president robots. Just be- <laughs> uh, so if you want to get me going and talk to me about how Mark Zuckerberg's probably running for president, no, because don't. I can go and go and go. I don't. That's a different podcast. I'm just telling people who want to hit me on Twitter. Okay. About it. Cool. 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 At Andrew writes like I will. I will just go. <laughs> So the the big shame of Oscar Andrew is that he is this uber nerd. He can speak Elvish. He is well versed in Star Trek. You know, he's attending an all boys school in Patterson, New Jersey, but he's still super into girls. Okay. Uh, and as Junior says, everybody noticed his lack of game, and because they were Dominican, everybody talked about it. So he's like not <laughs> catching any slack. His two best friends like. Both get girls and leave him high and dry. They are embarrassed by him. And he doesn't really find a sense of self until he spends a summer with his grandmother back in the Dominican. And she kind of just leaves him alone to like write some sci-fi novels. Um, he comes back. He meets a girl in an SAT prep class. They're friendly for a while. And, Man, you know, those people just go to SAT prep for t- <laughs> to troll for tail. That's what you it know, is. We all know the type. Yo, I love those analogies. Let's talk. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the thing, right? 
Is that the SAT thing? Oh, we had the AC. We had the ACTs. Oh, what's the thing? Where it's like if what this is to this is that is to that. That's like the that's an analogy, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I don't know anymore. Obviously, it's I been a, failed we're a bit. We're a bit out from our SATs <laughs> at this point. Uh, of course. This is like the closest thing he's had to a girlfriend ever, and he gets uh, put in the, quote, let's be friends vortex, which, again... Just a, a store brand friend zone, yeah. which is not great. Well, and I'll also say, like, we, you, you know, we were kind of joking about it with the red pill thing. Like, there's some stuff in this in this book about American masculinity, in particular Western masculinity, um, in... in the context of you know popular culture that i think we're like we're fighting our way out of right now and a lot of us are on the other side of the fence and because this book is like in the 70s and 80s it's still dealing with a lot of things we're trying to leave behind yeah it's like it's a kind of thing where Ideas like that, I don't think we're challenged that much in like the 70s and 80s. And because we are increasingly challenging them now, like there is another subsection of men or of society where those ideas have like metastasized and become like malignant, all consuming (laughs) and super toxic. And And they're like, I can forgive you a reference to the friend zone as long as you're not like talking about how you're like involuntarily celibate on reddit like (laughs) yeah and that's you know this book is not even i wish there was not a road between those two things and and this book is not even building a bridge to those things because this book doesn't know about those things right um Mm -hmm. oscar's not being judged like that he's not judging women like that um he just keeps getting rejected and he keeps kind of diving further and further into himself he goes to Rutgers and like his first chapter ends with him like slipping it he had all these hopes for like fitting in at college because it's really diverse but he is like he doesn't look dominican enough for people to accept him there he is not black enough to be accepted by uh african-american students and he's a super nerd and girls don't like him and so he joins the university geek group and like the chapter ends like presumably he's just in a cave by himself (laughs) it's really sad (laughs) uh so that's the first chapter of the book where you really get it set the stage for Oscar Wilde. Now, I did skip over this preamble um, that is delivered direct to you from Junior, even though you don't know that it's him yet. And it's really this mechanism to deliver like almost like a worldview of this curse that I will call Fuku, F-U-K-U. Uh, okay. But I think it's supposed to be pronounced the other way. Um, oh, like the cuss. Like the cuss. And it's Fuku Americanus. This is a, this is a fam- family show. We can't cuss. On. Yes. Uh, Fuku Americanus, um, or just Fuku for short. And he refers to it as the curse and doom of the new world. Um, you know, the the curse that people would yell with their souls upon being dragged into the new world against their will. Um. And it was said that if you went against someone who was particularly evil or malignant, um, they could cast a fuku on your entire family. Um, and so the backdrop of this, of Oscar Wilde's story, is the Dominican Republic in, you know, the 40s, 50s, and leading up to 1961, under the reign of Rafael Leonidas Trujillo Molina, 
uh, also known as El Jefe, who's a real guy, terrible dictator in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, um, mm-hmm. who was killed in 1961. And as the book alludes to, Kennedy was probably involved. Um, and the book, you know, Junior claims that the Fuku fell on the Kennedys. So be it. Um, and that Oscar's entire family suffers from this curse. Okay. And the narrator says that this telling his story will be what is called a zafa or a you know a counter curse that he hopes will ward off the zuku lest it you know affect him for having known oscar okay uh so the rest of the book after this opening section with oscar is a separate chapter on a bunch of different people in his life so we get lola his sister who's kind of a renegade and doesn't get along with their mom at all um, you get a chapter on their mom who uh, grew up in the in the Dominican, um, was orphaned at a young age and eventually found her way to her aunt and then makes her way to America. Uh, you get a chapter about Oscar again, but from Junior's perspective when he moves into, into a room with him in college. Mm-hmm. And then you get another chapter about Oscar's grandfather, Abelard, who's a doctor during the Trujillo regime, and that begins the Fuku. Um, and then uh, it closes with the end of Oscar's brief, Wondrous Life. Okay. So do you have any questions so far? Do you want me to just kind of do my overarch summaries for each of these sections? I where, think where do you your vibing? thing. I, I find myself wishing I remember more about how Junior was portrayed and used in um, "This Is How You Lose Her," so we could do more comparison comparisons. He, but um, he's a player, and the like, do you? You're gonna have to distinguish in what sense you mean that he is. Like he's a he is a person in this book, or he's like a player, like a player. Oh, it, sir, both, with both, both, both with okay. italics and underlined. He is okay. incapable of maintaining a relationship because he is always chasing Toto. And I, you know, <laughs> fill in dog fill, too. Fill in what you think that word might be. So that yeah, definitely um, dog, small dog, <laughs> definitely dog. It's nothing else. Um. So yeah, he is he becomes a friend of Oscar's but he doesn't really know what to do uh with like Oscar's personal life dilemma. <laughs> um, okay. So like do you want to do you want to talk about like what like plot stuff? Like you you've established characters at this point. So like what's the why did this book win a Pulitzer? Like, why is it important? What sure. like, do you get a sense of that from reading it? Yeah, so it works in uh generations a bit. So um, you get that first opening salvo with Oscar, and then you you move forward a couple years, but you're you shift to Lola's perspective, his sister. Um, it shifts into a first person narrative. I think the implication is that she is like telling that story directly to Junior because later they're in a relationship. Okay. Um, the book doesn't really clarify that much, but I think that's the implication. Um, that whole section is really about how she is rebelling against her mom her mom gets cancer when she is i think eight um and then just kind of like they have a terrible relationship as it is and seeing weakness in her mother she kind of seizes that extra ground um and then like starts to rebel and there's a lot of interesting 
80s teen stuff in here that is really interesting. Um, one of the things I clocked was like talking about going goth. Like at one point she shaves her head, Lola shaves her head. Um, and it's this huge statement that everybody's really mad about. Um, she talks okay. about her friend Karen, who's a goth that she's like walking down the street with. And Karen has like spiky hair and half of her head is shaved and she just does it so well. Lola says everybody would stare and it was the scariest thing. And that was, I guess why I did it. Uh, which is just for me like a really good like if you are wearing clothes that are purposefully non-traditional or you are um, kind of cultivating a visual persona that's outside the norm. um, It's just a really interesting way to both draw attention and like perhaps deflect negative attention. Yeah, I I think I what style is when you're that young sometimes is just like doing something to get people to look at you or to or or just to, to look different than what people normally look like well, i guess and if you already feel like people are looking at you for one reason define like maybe it's because they don't like you or they're judging you or, or you don't fit in like leaning into that gives mm-hmm. you control over it mm-hmm and you can define the term like, oh, I know you're looking at me because of this purposeful thing that I did. And um, it's just interesting to that I found that well, you know, well spoken. I don't know. I don't sure. Know. Um, we we kind of we will we will occasionally wade into just dissing on hot topic here on this show because it's just commoditized. I like teen identity stuff. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, but I I think <laughs> we are trying it. to make fun of the store and not fun like fun of the impulse to like. No, no, craft I mean, We're we're making fun of a store that sell like a giant chain store that's selling you things to to like it's using uniqueness, I guess, as a selling point while still being a gigantic chain store. <laughs> yes, true. Uh, Lola's story. Takes some twists and turns. She ends up uh, like running away from home and shacking up with a guy in Wildwood, New Jersey, who works on the boardwalk. And he's a crapo. He stinks. Um, I'm starting to. I'm starting to think that New Jersey is not always portrayed very positively <laughs> in popular culture. <laughs> it really isn't. Bruce Springsteen <laughs> like cares about it, but he writes a bunch of sad songs about it too. Mm-hmm. Bon Jovi seems to like New Jersey okay. Mm-hmm. Bonathan, Bonathan Jovi. Bonathan Jovi, yes. That's I think his... we talked about this the other night. I don't know what Bon is short for. I don't know if it's Bonjamin or... Bonedict, <laughs> uh, perhaps? Bon- yeah, Bonedict Jovi. <laughs> Bonedict Jovi. Um, Bonifer. Bonifer, that could work. Mm-hmm. Bonard? Bon... Bon, 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 ba 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 Bondrew, Bondrew. There it is. So Lola, uh, she her plan is then to like run away from Aldo, and she ends up calling home and asking Oscar to like steal a bunch of money for her. He can't because he's a good kid, and like brings his whole family there to like rescue her. There's not a father in the picture. There's like an uncle in the picture. Um. And she eventually, like, moves down to Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic, to live with her grandmother, her abuela, 
uh, who's I think his name is La Inca, um, and like does pretty well down there, um, and that leads into Abuela telling her stories of her mom uh, and her dad. So this is, I think, where a lot of the when we're in this flashback to the Dominican, um, and you're getting this kind of larger world that is a repressed Latin American country um, ruled by this like cult of personality dictator man um, set against like a trouble boy's attempt to just connect in the way that his culture is telling him he should. Right. That I think is like what people really respond to with this book. Certainly what I really responded to with this book you don't okay. you don't get the um the dictator stuff uh in real clear detail until you move even further back to the uh to the doctor to the grandfather um and his name is before I I said it earlier but I want to make sure Abelard. So one of the Abelard's main concerns and this is a couple chapters later is that his two daughters are very beautiful. He has two daughters before he has Oscar's mom. And one of the things that everyone in the Dominican knows is that El Jefe, uh, he might just ask you to bring your daughter to a party. And then if she's beautiful, he's just going to sleep with her. That's just the way it goes, Jack. Yeah, no, that's good. That's cool. Um, What does he say? Trujillo might have been a dictator, but he was a Dominican dictator, which is another way of saying he was the number one Balaco in the the country, believed that all the Toto in the DR was literally his. It's a well-documented fact that in Trujillo's DR, if you are of a certain class and you put your cute daughter anywhere near near El Jefe, uh, within the week she'd be mondo his rapio like an old pro, and there would be nothing you could do about it. So that's... Avalar becomes obsessed with keeping his daughters away from the dictator because he's a man of means. He's a doctor working in his regime. He's kind of keeping his head in the sand. Um, stop me if you've heard this one before, Andrew. Yeah, no, it's just that, that thing where you try to benefit from somebody's crappy rule until it directly inconveniences you. <laughs> um, he didn't want there's... to dwell on the fates of unfortunate people. He didn't want those stories in his Well, who house. wants to do that? That's that's depressing. That's it sad. Who cares true. about unfortunate people? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. If they didn't want to be oppressed, then they shouldn't have just like let it happen. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's what I heard. That's what I've been um, hearing. There is, so, okay, this is from, uh, we cited it in the Saffron 4 episode. It's from HuffPo. It's a list of 15 overrated writers and um <laughs> mm-hmm. this is their this is like their rationale for including diaz on that list and okay. I, I think i hear bits of like justification in what you're saying so i would be curious to hear your response to this um uh he diaz doesn't realize the fine line between presenting the dark underside of reality and glorifying it mm. the dominicans in his books are obsessed with screwing that's how this uber nerd desperately tries to establish his street slash ghetto cred crown the prince of dominican fiction with drown he made us wait 11 years for his even worse follow-up the brief wondrous life of oscar wow replaces plot in stories and not well okay replaces plot in stories and novels with pumped up voice 
Oscar, the science fiction nerd, tries to lose his virginity. That's basically the whole story. His sister Lola thinks of nothing but screwing. His mother just wants to screw. And when Oscar tries to screw an older woman back in Santo Domingo, he gets killed because the agony of the novel has to end somehow. <laughs> his manic voice describes everything with the same faux energy that you're shattering ghetto, ghetto volume as though there were no difference between murder and puking. Uh, seems to work with a checklist as he designs his plots. Uh, the dictator Trujillo, Trujillo uh, the projects, drugs, family secrets, grandfather in prison. Yep, everything checked off. <laughs> has no clue about the rhythm of language, just strings together discrete sentences until he has enough for a book. Uh, might move, might one day move beyond writing about uh, sex crazed nerds. I'm avoiding words that we can't say on the show. Sure, sure. Um, and write in a language above that of his childish protagonist, but it might be 11 more years at least. Recently appointed to the Pulitzer Prize Board. Is the last sentence in that little yeah, I don't, diatribe. I think there are... I think we're I think reading the same... It sounds like it's one of those things where they're not saying anything false, but they're also taking it in a different way than you are. Yeah, I think that's true. And and you had similar caveats even with um, This Is How You Lose Her of, mm. like, you know, if you're... look Depending on the type of relationships you're looking for in a book like they're not gonna be here um well it's, it just it spends a lot of time with a hyper masculinity in a way that you sort of start to wonder whether it's endorsing it or not and that can make you uncomfortable yeah and i don't necessarily i personally reading it, i don't think that it is i think the characters that are pursuing it express that it is flawed in a lot of ways i what i'm trying to draw here on the macro level is that I see a connection between a country whose dictator um, the first syllable is very important about, right? <laughs> and the a primary part of that plot is keeping that man away from, you know, a father's daughters. Um, like, there's comparisons between this dictator and, like, Sauron, right? But I made notes that, like, Sauron wasn't trying to, you know, bone everyone in Middle-earth to, like, exert his power. I mean, he I probably mean, could only, have. There, yeah, but there are only, like, three women in all of Tolkien, so his the pickings were pretty slim anyway. Yes. Um, so I, I think there's a connection to be made between that type of hyper-toxic masculinity, like, ruling a nation... And this self-destructive pursuit of the same goal on a much like smaller level that mm -hmm. like ruins this kid's life, even though he is very creative and, you know, ostensibly a very talented writer and could come up with all this cool stuff. Um, but like because of what he thinks is important, it just leads him to ruin. Um, and so is the, the, does the book present this as a as a tragedy? Like, is that... Yeah, I guess if, the, if if the title comments on how brief his life is, that kind of implies a sort of something that was cut off before it could realize its potential, or, or you know something like that. Yes, certainly. And Junior uh, ends the book. So you did a, like a in that blurb, you did some like wonderful little plot synopses things. Um, it's worth noting that like at the end of the book, Oscar is making another trip down to the Dominican to basically creep on a older prostitute that he's fallen in love with uh -huh. until she finally sleeps with him and then like her boyfriend or husband or someone like takes care of oscar like that's that's what happens 
like takes care of not in like a sexual sense but a killing him sense in a killing him sense okay um and junior is left with like novels that oscar had written and oh they're pretty good um and and his abuela has always believed in him as this creative genius um so yeah there is an unrealized potential there there i'm not quite sure what the structural impact of the like fuku thing is meant to do in a sense that like there's the book draws this line between all the bad stuff that happens to these people and this one time that the grandfather like made an off the cuff remark about the dictator and then got locked up and then a whole bunch of stuff went bad for everyone. Uh huh. Sure. Um, and then you, I guess you're supposed to like pre before the dictator even took power. Like there's the whole colonialism, like, fu- like Fuku thing. Um, I'm not quite sure structurally how that's supposed to work. Uh, sure. But on a micro level, here here's <sighs> the prose is is a little all over the place in the sense that Junior is talking to you the whole time. You get the sense that if you were at a party with Junior, he'd be the loudest guy. He'd probably be very charming. But unless... But he also maybe had just taken some ecstasy or like, something. <laughs> yeah. It's just like a little bit. Um, and that's not that doesn't mean that the book is without like affecting prose. And I'll come back to one in a few minutes. But one of the things that is for me was like, maybe it's just because of my own reference points for all this stuff. Yo, Andrew, there's a lot of nerd references in this book. It sounds like it's kind of going out of its way to, to, to make them in, in almost like self-conscious <clears throat> desire to, to like prove Oscar's nerd cred, because that is a thing. Like you, yes, like certainly. we made fun of the geek, the fake geek boy thing earlier, but like definitely as soon as you're ankle deep in any fandom, like there's this constant drive to separate the true fans from the, from the like casual people or the people who don't really understand it, I guess. Now the, the positive side of that and, and Diaz has spoken to this is like he, one of the reasons he's said that he wants to end up writing that sci-fi novel is that he doesn't see a lot of contemporary fiction, effectively wrestling with like issues of power and uh systemic problems the way that he sees even in his homeland right um and we've talked about how some magical realism kind of gets at that too so i think there's an element of diaz just being like this is a way to view the world i think another way another way that it works is it's almost like a cultural code switching thing that's going on where he can he can slip there's lots of just like here's some spanish deal with it um just in the middle of sentences like come me o culo you ugly disgusting vieja like i don't know exactly what all that means because i don't speak spanish but i get it um and the book's unapologetic about doing that which is really cool um if i were going to read it again i would i would take a little bit more time with that but culturally he's code switching as well where he is not just fluent in the history of his homeland and the history of this kid this kid's family he is also able to speak in fluent 70s 80s nerddom and like drop a mortar reference make a bunch of watchman references like all of a sudden like but then it goes too far so there's one where he says um that someone oh where is it oh i gotta find it it's not great um 
this is talking about a section of Oscar's mom back in the 60s. Um, she was scared, you know, uh, and it hurt bad. She'd been like hit. And then he just puts in parentheses 4D10. Seriously, dude. And like, it's <laughs> and it's this like, I guess, dun- like he plays lots of Dungeons and Dragons and stuff. Um, and, and on one level, like Junior is telling the story to memorialize Oscar. So like, sure, put a bunch of nerd stuff in it. But one reason I don't like that is that this chapter about Oscar's mom begins in this like almost reverent fairy tale mode, not quite fairy tale, but just a little bit more traditional, which feels right. We're moving back in time. We're talking about a different generation. And then later in that chapter, um, we get Street Fighter references, Phantom Zone references, uh, and then when she like goes through puberty and discovers that she is like desirable to people and can use that socially, he says, like the accidental discovery of the One Ring, like stumbling into the Wizard Shazam's cave or finding the crashed ship of the Green Lantern. And like, at a certain point, like, I guess it starts to feel a little forced. I don't know. But like, I, I appreciate the 4D10 thing because if you play D&D, like that's a, that's a heavy hit. Like that's a solid. It is. Like you have to be pretty high level for, for, to, to be able to roll that. Just, yeah. Right. But, but it doesn't. I object to that specifically when it's in chapters that are like over the shoulder of characters for whom that doesn't that doesn't like make sense at all. Okay. Though I get that it's all. I mean, I guess it, it makes sense because somebody else is telling you their story, but I also see where like the mixed perspectives and the and the mixed like you're mixing things that people are concerned about in a way that maybe doesn't always gel all the way. It takes me out of it. Anyway, um, there are there are two other parts of prose that I want to mention that are I think are interesting. One, I just want to read like you said, I think I don't know if the blurb alerted to it, but there's he uses lists a lot. He kind of uses like just kind of run on phrase stuff, which is not unique necessarily to Diaz. Um, but there's a section where Belly, his, the, the mother um, is assaulted and, and beat up back in in the Dominican and he said he doesn't show the scene. He builds up to the scene and then he just says, let me pass over the actual violence and report instead on the damage inflicted her clavicle chicken boned her right humerus, a triple fracture, five ribs broken, left kidney bruised, liver bruised, right lung, right lung collapsed, front teeth blown out about 167 points of damage in total. And it was only sheer accident uh, that these guys didn't eggshell her cranium, though her head did swell to elephant man proportions. Uh, all that can be said is that it was the end of language, the end of hope. It was the sort of beating that breaks people, breaks them utterly. And I like this passage for two reasons, Andrew, even okay. though I didn't catch the D&D reference in the middle of it the first time. Um, okay, because I definitely did. <laughs> A, it, it makes you, the reader, have to imagine what these guys did to her, right? rather than actually show you the scene. So potentially that makes it worse if you're if you're going slow through it. Um and it also like keeps the focus on her on her experience um rather than potentially, you know, slipping into the perspective of the guys beating her up and like accidentally humanizing them or anything well, and like that. Well, there's definitely it's if you're trying to convey the seriousness of a beating, I do think it is more useful 
I guess, for lack of a better word, to talk about it in terms of consequences rather than just saying, oh, he punched her, he kicked her. Yeah. You know, because in terms of what you can do as an attacker, there are only really a, a handful of things you can do. And then I guess just depending on how much you do it or where you do it, like that's where you get the effect. So it's it's more devastating as a reader, I think, to just to, to get the list of just all the stuff that was done than it is to like watch it happen yeah in, like an action sequence or something yeah especially because in an action sequence you're getting like there are opportunities for like character development and surprise and that's like not what's happening here like it's just like here's a bunch of stuff that happened and it's terrible um earlier in her story there's a section and this gets a little bit to the hypersexualized stuff and then we'll kind of close out with a little nod to the magical realism i think yeah that sounds good um early in the belly chapter and and i this is belizia cabral who is oscar's mom she is like she's growing up she hits puberty and she uh was hit and this is from the book hit the biochemical jackpot experienced a summer of her secondary sex characteristics and was transformed utterly parentheses a terrible beauty has been born um, and then we get like a two-page paragraph of all the specific ways in which she is hot. Like, you know. Nice. Yeah, like talking about tatas and talking about uh, her butt. And it's from, yeah. it's effectively from her perspective <laughs> with like Junior kind of playing this, it up. This right? special layer of sleazy objectification slathered so, over top of so it. So I wanted to bring it up because on the one hand, it feels like a lot. On On the one hand, I think you could read it and be like, this is a male author with a male perspective describing what happened to this woman. Like, that's hmm, problematic. Um, while it's still problematic, I think what he's going for, he's finding an analog to like the the sudden transformation that Oscar feels of just like, oh my God, my body's different and it defines me in ways that I didn't want it to. Okay. And then third, I I feel like in this in this book in particular, people are very aware of how they look because it enter it defines and we are in the real world too. Uh, like there's visual information that, even though we probably don't want it to, um, you know, l- can be class signifiers. It can be, um, you know, it can put you into different buckets based on on race and things like that. And if you are attuned to that already, being a person of color in a in a society where different shades mean different things, um, I think visual information about yourself might just ring truer or might mean more than someone who doesn't have to deal with that in the same way. Um, okay. Cause the other thing about belly is that like, she is darker than anyone in her, in her community. Um, even like light skin, dark skin is a, is a big thing in that community. It's similar even in New Jersey with Oscar and all that stuff. Um, so yes, it's two paragraphs of Tata's, um, but I also think there's like whether or not not to say that it solves how problematic it might be. I think that kind of like my body defines me stuff um, 
shouldn't just be dismissed out of hand. I don't know. At, at least that is to say that like I do wish that there were not every book can be everything, but like the best character from a like you are not sex crazed perspective because perhaps maybe the one character that isn't is the grandmother uh la inca who just like takes care of people and makes them feel better about themselves and like saves some people's lives and stuff Mm -hmm. and we don't see her in the pursuit of tail we don't see her pursuing how are you even supposed to know anything about her if you don't see her pursuing tail i well you see her caring for her niece and you see her caring boring grandchildren it's come i know boring roll damage (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah we can kind of was there do you recall andrew did this is how you lose her have like magical elements or supernatural elements at all like this kind of I don't I don't stuff. recall but I think it was I think it stuck pretty close to reality it, it like I think when we did that episode we talked a lot about the potential the potentially autobiographical elements and there might be some times where it gets a little floaty with perspective and stuff but it's I don't think it gets magical realism that I can that I can remember yeah this one I would say doesn't really either the the Zuku's the Fuku Zafa stuff like is a table setter in a way, but it's almost treat it's treated more like a family superstition than it is literal fact in the world. Right. Sure. In in the vein of your Marquezes and whatnot. There mm-hmm. are, there are two like hallucinations that crop up or visions or whatever. There's like a golden mongoose that shows up a couple times. <laughs> Uh, and that is like the bearer of good news or like shepherds people out of danger and whatnot. And then there's like an image of a faceless man that people see when they're like maybe not aware of what's going wrong, but like somewhere a loved one is in danger kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, depending on how they're used, I mean, that can just be a like an everyday sort of metaphor, like the bluebird of happiness or whatever, like the, the golden mongoose of, of good omens. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's not just that there's it monkeys doesn't nece- running it doesn't around. Necessarily though. have to be like a literal mongoose, like in your bedroom, being like, "Hey, good stuff's gonna happen." I mean, that I'll hit you later. I mean, there the mongoose does talk to people, so, okay. but yeah, it's, it's treated as visions. It's treated as like built on superstition, so it doesn't have that sense. I think. I don't know. It doesn't really dip into a, a supernatural that like explicitly references the the types of sci-fi and fantasy that Oscar's into. It's, okay. I, I would have expected it to do that if it were really going to dip its toe into that. Um. Yeah. I. I don't know. I is that that's the book. I guess. Sure. I. Th- I guess the one thing I wanted to ask about. Because we talked about Diaz's like love hate relationship with his with his heritage, sure. Mm-hmm. And so in this book, we get a lot about that heritage and the the masculinity and, and all the stuff that goes into it. Do you get a sense from the book that it's like it's criticizing that heritage or that perspective, or it's glorifying it, or if it's just trying to present it as it really exists in the world, or like what is? 
from this book, like what what is Diaz's relationship with that masculinity and with that with that heritage and what's what are the characters' relationships with it like? My my first response is that there is for some of the characters, particularly the modern characters, so Lola and Oscar in particular, both make trips back to the Dominican and like find some find some positive vibes there like they they find things about themselves like that's where lola you know excels on the on the track team and you know gets ahead in her life and she's still not like a perfect person and she isn't always happy throughout the rest of her life um but that's where she gets some distance from other things and is able to make sense of herself and similarly with oscar the the thing that really stinks though is that like he still has that drive in that in his homeland that he had in America sure. and that ultimately leads him to his doom um i don't know if he's i don't know if diaz is trying to particularly like critique the the dominican as much as like he is the same age ish uh he's a little bit old he's a little bit younger than um oscar's mom is so he okay. was born in 65 i think i said right and um oh, 68, 68 excuse me so like he's what 7 years after trujillo died so his parents would you know would have lived through this stuff um and, well, their and he's writing parents. about he's writing about characters who have li- who are living through phases of life that he himself has lived through already also also true um yes. so he's tackling all of the generations of his family and i think He's probably it's telling that he doesn't write about a father figure for Oscar and the two Yeah, cuz he and his he and his dad have a pretty contentious history. Yeah. And so the the two male like older generation characters that you get a lot of are the uh the doctor grandfather and then some of the men that Oscar's mom dated when she was growing up. Um, mm-hmm. And then, of course, Trujillo like hanging in the background as the, as the dictator. So I think he's just drawing a line, a co- like kind of exploring a connective tissue between this like oppressive, in the moment kind of like a culture that could just kind of drive you nuts um, with the way you define yourself. Um, and how that's mirrored by the by the government, and then like, what might, what are the modern iterations of that? What did probably Diaz see in uh, himself and folks he was growing up around in Jersey, um, who were sons and daughters of immigrant families, and what was it causing them to do? Why were they seeking solace in different parts of American culture? Like Oscar's super obsessed with the movie Akira and apocalypses <laughs> and ends sure. of the world. And it's also the Reagan administration. So like, maybe that's going to happen. Um, <laughs> and I, I think it's, there's, I don't know that it's condemning. I don't know that it's critiquing. I certainly think that it is attempting to find a connection between the two um, that, not to say that you're supposed to do anything specific with that, um, except know that beneath the iceberg, beneath every iceberg, there's a lot more under the water kind of thing. Sure. Um, yeah. And and then layer on top of that a bunch of hyper uh, 
code switching nerd dialogue, which is fun. Um, yeah, sure. <laughs> and at times it's really fun, and at times it's a little distracting. And you know, we've we've covered that. So it's a cool book. Okay. I cool. I like it a lot. Um, a lot. There's a lot of different angles to it, and we were never going to cover them all in this one. Of course, this yeah. one little podcast that we do. <laughs> so if uh, I did not manage to cover your you the listeners like favorite part of this book uh or if i somehow misrepresented a part of this book that you really enjoy uh please hit us up on social media you could use twitter.com slash overdue pod or facebook.com slash overdue pod you could also send us emails at overdue pod at gmail.com um and i'm going to ask you about the website in just a second but i want to talk about itunes reviews real quick because okay. this week I want to give some shout outs to folks who've given us iTunes reviews, um, which include book lover number one, <laughs> who <laughs> says that our wit is just too awesome. Um, true, true. Cluisi45, who introduced their 14 year old son to the podcast. How's that going? Uh, <laughs> Julie Mist, who said she once stayed in the car an extra 30 minutes to finish an episode. I identify with that. I will occasionally walk around a block if I'm like finishing a podcast that's pretty good. An episode of our podcast. That <laughs> you're listening to for <laughs> if some I'm just reason. listening to old overdue episodes like I do every week. Um, and then Trina uh, in Wonderland, who was not turned off by my initial reactions to Lord of the Wing- Rings. Thanks for sticking around, Trina. And uh, Faith RB also, who just said that they love hearing us. So, yeah, iTunes is a great way to let us know why you like the show and also help other people find the show. Yeah. Andrew, what else? Admirable pursuits. What what else can folks find at our website? Um, At our website, which is at OverduePodcast.com, you can find iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and RSS links that you can use to subscribe to the show and get new episodes when they drop. Uh, Usually that is every Monday, but um, so for patrons, which we also also have information on our Patreon page that you can find on our website or at Patreon.com slash OverduePod. Um, for patrons on Thursday, our episode on uh, Feel a Day by uh, Akif Perinci mm-hmm. will uh, will post. And then a week after on uh, Thursday, the I 25th, don't remember what day I it is. Believe. 25th. Yeah, um, it'll post for, for regular people. So subscribe to those feeds if, uh, if you want to get those episodes as soon as they're up. Um, we also have links to Spreaker, our podcast host, HeadGum, our podcast network, Amazon links to the books that we have read and are going to read so you can read along while also supporting us financially. Um, a new listener page with a lot of episode recommendations for people who are just getting into the show. And um, sometime this week, I hope that we will put up a link to our uh, ticket page for the live show we're going to do with the Unfriendly Black Hotties on July 15th in uh, Boston, Massachusetts. We're just working out a couple of things with the venue about like how to sell tickets, but uh, but yeah, the the show is tentatively well, it's more than penciled in. Like we've reserved the space, <laughs> like it's happening, um, and hopefully we'll we'll have a ticket sale stuff go up pretty soon, so you can you can buy them if you're if you're interested in going. We hope to see you guys out there. Yep. And next week we're going to be talking about we're going to be choosing our adventure next week. Uh, with a little book we like to call "You Are a Shark," yes, and and Susanna hypothesized like we have a really bad track record with getting to the stuff that's on the Cover. covers of the books. <laughs> so, 
like whether we turn into a shark or not is anybody's guess. Tune in and find out. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Um, we are eternally grateful for all your support, and uh, we hope to, to see you again next week. Until then, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.